Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. I'm Tyler, and I'm mansplaining what our podcast is. I'm Hannah, and I don't talk very much. (laughs) That's not true at all. It's been better lately. I've found my voice. Yeah, I've specifically (laughs) been trying to, like, hold back and be like, you know what? I don't have to always talk. Let Hannah talk some more and more I think you've been trying that for, like, three years, though, and it wasn't working for two and a half of them. But then I became a dad. You know what? Oh, we I think made we it found... zero minutes into the show before Tyler mentioned being a dad. I think we found our own bit. <laughs> I don't think I need to do something. That's our bit. That, I'm just going to cut into that, like, fade in. Um, you're recording, right? I am. Okay, thank God. Uh, I don't see the show notes in here at all. I oh, there they open. are. Brandon Anderson, uh, Sanderson. I've been labeling everything Sanderson. Oh, just Sanderson? Just Sanderson. Not Sanders Brandonson, like <laughs> I like to call him. Branders Sandinson? No, Sanders Brandonson. Oh, my God. That's very <laughs> weird. Uh, I need everyone just to everyone just shut up. Everyone out there, just shut up and listen. <laughs> that's not me peeing. That's me pouring some rum, some alcohol. The weirdest thing is that because Discord filters out noises like that, I just watched you pour and it was dead silent. (laughs) Just totally silent. Nice. Um, Yeah, because we're talking about Brandon Sanderson and um, this dude, my God. Drives uh, you to drink, apparently. A little bit. Almost as bad as as, uh, Frank Herbert. Oh, is it an inadequacy type thing you got going on with Brandon yeah, yeah, Sanderson? Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit more, and I'm going to get into it in a second. Uh, but first, you mentioned before we started recording, I, I drank an entire bottle of, of water before we started. Like, like I downed it. You didn't drink it. You annihilated it, I think were the, <laughs> I was the word I... The word. You inhaled the, the water. Yeah. It was a plastic bottle, so I watched it shrivel up like SpongeBob <laughs> in that episode where he's stuck in Sandy's house without water. Yeah. Um, and you said, oh, poor water bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I realize... That I should have had more sympathy for you, the the human who is clearly dehydrated. Yeah, (laughs) but I have always felt a lot of empathy for inanimate objects. I I don't know where this comes from, and I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I actually get this. Like uh, when (laughs) when I was uh, like ten years old, nine or ten years old, uh, there were these two boy bands that were very popular. One was called In Sync. And the and other the one was Street called Boys. Backstreet Boys. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of these bands. Um, and I had both of their albums. I had both the NSYNC and the Backstreet Boys albums. Now, I liked the Backstreet Boys more. I don't know why. Maybe because they had AJ and he was badass. But I liked Backstreet Boys more. But if I listened to the Backstreet Boys CDs more 
than I listen to the NSYNC CD. I would feel bad for the CD itself, like a Toy Story situation where when I leave the room, Backstreet Boys CD like wakes up and is like, haha, fuck you, NSYNC CD. And then NSYNC CD is going to feel bad. So I would, I would alternate listening to these bands equally, <laughs> even though I liked Backstreet Boys more. So I'm so glad you told this story because <laughs> I didn't do that with CDs, but I felt bad if I didn't play with certain toys or like cuddle certain stuffed animals equally. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that there's someone else out there who's as insane as I am. So yeah. it, it absolutely it, it definitely there was more than the CDs, but that was the most prominent like, oh, I need to treat these things equal because I will feel bad about these inanimate objects. Wow. So, so yeah, poor water bottle. Poor water <laughs> bottle. Poor in sync. Poor in sync. Poor everybody. Um. Anyway, so if you couldn't tell, we're talking about Brandon Sanderson on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Who makes us feel like a neglected in sync CD? Well, yeah, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not like that. You know, it's not as bad as Frank Herbert. It really is not. Um, when when I read Frank Herbert, I I. I don't know if I created the Frank Herbert Dune Existential Crisis Club, uh, as we've now started to call it. But you uh, definitely took it over. If but it I definitely, beca- I definitely became the president of, of the club, uh, the most vocal person out there. It, <clears throat> Sanderson, where Frank <laughs> Herbert <laughs> created one of the greatest written pieces of, of fantasy, in my opinion. Sanderson has maybe not written the greatest pieces of fantasy, but he's gone like, you know what? I'm never going to write the best, but I'm going to write the most. I'm definitely (laughs) going to, I'm definitely going to write more of them than anybody else in this world possibly can. I mean, he's like Isaac Asimov level writing. Wasn't Isaac Asimov was the one that set the record for the most sci-fi stories? Yeah, I think so. He did... I think he did the most um, and he did like a lot more numbers wise, probably because Isaac Asimov didn't write thousand page books. Yeah. He was he a normal sh- freaking human. short stories mostly, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. But his word count was way up there too. But yeah, I think that's a good point. You know, Frank Herbert agonized for years and years over Dune, which is a massive book. Yeah. Uh, but it's just one book, whereas Brandon Sanderson's like, okay, churning out a thousand pages a year of of fiction, and yeah. I'm just going to keep it going. There's, There was this famous phrase during the pandemic for creatives, you know, writers, musicians, um, artists, all kinds of people, where it was like during um, Shakespeare's lifetime when there was a pandemic, Shakespeare wrote blah, blah, blah plays and all of this stuff. And so all the creatives went, oh, this is this is great. I'll do the same thing. <laughs> and we all collectively went, yeah, let's do that. But, I mean, we all know we're not Shakespeare. So fuck that. We're not actually going to do that. Brandon Sanderson didn't get that second memo. He was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to Shakespeare this up. And, uh, <laughs> and he's been doing that since like the 90s. <laughs> and and he promised his publisher, oh, here's four books uh, but also, I wrote five more. So, um, you know, 
Fuck you guys. <laughs> I think he writes faster than any publisher could realistically be expected to read his he, works. He is the anti-George R.R. R. Martin. Oh my gosh, yes. And we're going to get into <laughs> into some of those comparisons later too, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I guess, I mean, we've we've editorialized a little bit on him and uh, talked about NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, which we obviously have to do when talking about obviously. Um But Hannah, why don't you tell us about this... This sweet man's, the sweet scribe's um, life. <laughs> oh, if you would have got one more S word, it could have been some I great was alliteration. so hard. I was trying so hard. Uh, better luck next episode. So Brandon Sanderson was born on December 19th, 1975 in Lincoln, Nebraska. He is the oldest of four children, and he comes from a Mormon family, so um, religion has always been super important for him. He describes himself as a reluctant reader until around eighth grade when one of his teachers gave him a book called Dragon's Bane by Barbara Hambly. And from then on, he was pretty much hooked by fantasy. Um, he, he described that book as being like adventure fiction with magic and dragons, so what more could a 14-year-old nerd want to read. He, um, after that, made several early attempts at writing his own stories, um, but it seemed like writing wasn't such a huge part of his, his life at that point. Um, after he graduated from high school in 1994, he went to Brigham Young University um, as a biochemistry major, which was not the major I would have expected Brandon Sanderson to choose. Um, but it is kind of similar to Robert Jordan, I suppose, because he majored in like nuclear engineering or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Everyone who's a great writer has to go into uh, scientific fields. Wasn't Asimov? He was also well, a scientist. Well, yeah, but, but he's a sci-fi writer. For fantasy, I wouldn't necessarily expect yeah. a like science background, but I think it's interesting that he and Robert Jordan aka james oliver rigney have that in common sure it's obvious yeah it's yet another um little little pin in my wheel of jordan <laughs> that proves that he was reincarnated as brandon sanderson brandon sanderson was a vessel created by <laughs> from clay a golem if you will and when jordan died his soul was transferred to Sanderson's what? body. <laughs> what happened to the real Brandon Sanderson? Then he just got like yeeted out of his body. No, he was. It's a. He, it's he didn't a, exist. No, it's a. Uh, it's a time traveling story. Also, the future Sanderson Jordan went back in time into the body of Sanderson when he was born, and he lived in that until the current. Jordan took over. See, this is I'm this a is, writer too, so I can this is amazing. Shit. Also, Brandon, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm oh. sorry. I, I really actually super love you. I, I'm very sorry I said that. <laughs> Brandon, if you're listening, you should go back and listen to what he had to say about Lorna McDougal's husband. That's right. I'm being nice to you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so Sanderson is at, at BYU and as BYU students do. Uh, he took a two-year leave of absence to go on his mission uh, from 1995 to 1997. He was assigned to serve in South Korea, which oh, sounds like a pretty cool assignment. Yeah, 
that would be easy too. They're all Christians, right? Um, you know, all I know about Koreans and Christianity is um Lane Kim's mom and Gilmore Girls. So <laughs> yes, they are all Christians. I mean, she is supposed to be a stereotype, but yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, a stereotype is supposed to be representative. Do you, do you know how many Korean churches are here in Portland? No. You, you never saw? There's so many Korean churches. I went to one the other day to do some work, and I was like, I was trying, I because I know, I know a couple of phrases because Rebecca watches Korean dramas all the time. So oh, that's right. You know way more about this than I do. So I'm like, oh, okay. So I know how to say hello, which is Anyan Haseo. But I say it like a white guy, and I didn't <laughs> want to be that. So I'm just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Like, the whole time, I'm like, come on, just say Anyan Haseo to someone. <laughs> just look at someone and say Anyan Haseo. That's all you have to do, Tyler. I didn't do it. I, I you should it have done it. They probably would have been nice about it. Although, um, I did Taekwondo when I was in uh, <laughs> elementary school or whatever, and we learned how to like count and say some other basic stuff in Korean. Yeah. Because it's a Korean martial art. Yeah. But my my best friend at the time, she was Korean, and she would always make fun of how I pronounced the words. So I never actually said them around uh... her after that. <laughs> she, no matter how I said it, I was always wrong. Yep. Uh, <laughs> isn't. Isn't one Hana? Yeah. So it's almost Hana, like dual set net dasit yasit ilgon yadul aho yao. Oh shit! She can I... count. <laughs> Hit us back, I South Korea. Count Let us to know ten. You're listening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so so Brandon Sanderson is in um, Seoul, and when he was there, he realized he did not miss his chemistry classes one single bit. Uh, but he did miss writing, apparently. I'm not sure why he couldn't write while he was in South Korea. Uh, but for some reason, he, he wasn't doing a lot of it there. And he missed it very much. So when he got back from his um, mission in 1997, he switched majors to English literature. Apparently, his mom was not very happy about this and had always hoped that he would become a doctor. So disappointing mom since 1997. <clears throat> so he went to South Korea and then disappointed his mom. By not becoming a doctor. So he really took in the South Korean experience. <laughs> yes, he embodied the South <laughs> Korean culture. His mom did too. She was yeah. like, you know, I didn't want you to be a doctor until you went there. And yeah. then I realized that that was my lifelong dream for my son. Yeah, so my son's in South Korea. So he's either going to be a doctor or he's going to come back and disappoint me as not being a doctor. <laughs> She'd get along great <laughs> with Lane Kim's mom. Yeah. Um. So while he was at BYU, he worked as a night auditor at a hotel in Provo. Uh, I had no idea what a night auditor was, and I still kind of don't. Uh, I looked it up. Apparently, like, they they check people in if they come in in the middle of the night, but they also have to do, like, financial um, and accounting type tasks. Yeah. So it's a little more involved than I would have thought. But apparently, <laughs> this job allowed him to spend a lot of time writing while he was working. Um, and he said in an interview with the New York Times, quote, I was really appreciative of how quiet Provo is after 10 o'clock, which, yeah, if there's a city that I don't think is hopping after 10 o'clock at night, it's probably Provo, Utah. Yeah, probably. I mean, you never know what those, uh, those Mormon parties are going <sighs> to spill I out I hear they're the real streets. ragers. Yeah. Can't have alcohol or coffee, but <laughs> <laughs> they're really getting wild. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I see that kind of often where writers like either unintentionally or intentionally take on an easy job that doesn't have a lot of supervision hmm. and are able to kind of use their quiet time to write on the side. I think that's a pretty good gig if you can swing it. Yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like I, sh- I should have done that. I, I did try that at one point, but I didn't, it wasn't successful. Um, what was your slow job? Uh, I was selling internet to people. It was like satellite internet and I was like, I was just a call center. So, and it wasn't like I called people, they called us. So oh. they'd, they'd watch a commercial, call the number and I would be one of the lucky people to pick up and say, thank you for calling blah, blah, blah. We're so happy. What can blah, blah, blah do for you? And and then they'd ask if they could watch porn on it. And I'd be like, yeah, we could. Let's get you signed up. <laughs> uh, and like there were times where it was slow enough that I could actually write. I wrote a lot, actually. Um, but the constant, like, they would, I would get a call at any time. Like it, it wasn't like I, it was just kind of uh, always on the edge of your seat wondering <laughs> when a call is going to come in sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, you can't, like, fully get into writing zone. Yeah, and then I learned how to uh, how to play the system and not get as many calls, but be able to sit there for as long <sighs> as I want, and then they figured that out and fired me. Wow, yeah. what a resolution. Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> um, also, a fun fact that I learned about Brandon Sanderson's time in college Ken Jennings, that dude who got famous for winning 74 games straight on Jeopardy, was one of his roommates. What? And they're, like, still good friends today. Geniuses living together. I'm like, whoa, what are the odds? They should make a show about that. A couple of geniuses <laughs> living together, and then, like, across the hallway is, like, a super hot chick that they don't talk to. Whoa, this what? is a great idea. You should pitch it to NBC. Yeah, I'm going, uh, yeah, I'm getting them, for sure. Uh, so sanderson graduated with his bachelor's degree in 2000 and a couple years later he started a master's program in english with an emphasis in creative writing also at byu um not really sure what he was doing in those two years in between uh this should go without saying but there's not a an official biography about brandon sanderson yet since he's only like what would he be 50 or not 50 47 it's like 47-ish right now. So uh, it's probably going to be a couple decades at least until we get the Sanderson biography. I was doing your, the math for you, and you did it way faster than I did. Yeah, it's 47. Or he'll be 47 in December of this year. Yeah. So he's 40, sorry, Brandon, I aged you by like six months. Um, so when he was doing his master's program, he worked on the staff of Leading Edge, which was a speculative fiction magazine published by the university. Uh, he also served as editor-in-chief one year. And he learned a lot about the business side of being a writer by taking a class from a man called David or David Farland, who was the author of the popular Rune Lord series. Had you ever heard of Rune Lords, Tyler? No, it sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I hadn't heard of that one either. Um, but apparently, uh, Mr. Farland was one of the most uh, kind of influential people in in terms of writing and like advice in that that business um, for Sanderson at that point. 
And one of the biggest pieces of advice that he gave him was to attend conventions like Worldcon and World Fantasy to connect with industry professionals. So Brandon and a small group of his friends who were also aspiring writers started to do that. Um, I'm not sure like when he attended those specific conventions since it would have required traveling a long way in most cases. Like they they change cities every year and they're usually in pretty big cities. Um, I think he said at one point he went to like the Worldcon in Montreal, Canada. So it's kind of a, a big investment in terms of like time and money to to get to these. But he was really sure. serious about it. <clears throat> yeah, there's one that I've been I've been hoping to get to someday, uh, and like making. I think the first step in in like validation for my writing career would be going to uh, Realm Makers. Because it's always on the East Coast or, you know, maybe on, you know, uh, uh, St. Louis, I think, is the closest it's ever been. But it's like the tickets to get out there, the convention itself and then spending money on myself. Like it would be well around a thousand dollars to go to this thing. And I'm like, ah, I can't I can't justify that. Um but if I was a writer and like I actually have books out, then I can be like, oh, it's part of my uh, my thing that I, I have to go to this wife. So <laughs> you have to let me go now. And it's a tax write off at that point. Yeah. If I'm like claiming money, if the wow, ooh, I didn't even think about that. If my studio sends me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Frankie, hit me up. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it. Even before you're like a successful author, I feel like it's it's a valuable resource um, because Sanderson eventually met his current agent and one of his editors at conventions. So it is a good networking opportunity, I think. Sure. I think for me, it's hard because I don't I don't like being. And I think this is where <clears throat> I think this is where like Sanderson and I differ a lot. And where honestly, it's better for Sanderson than it is for me. Sanderson is so fine with just being a fan of a thing, right? He's he's okay just being excited about a thing. He knows his worth as a writer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't like being just a fan of something. If I'm going to be a fan of something, it's because I also am bringing something to the table. Uh, and it's I think it's like a personal thing of like I have to feel validation through whatever I'm dealing with but like if I go to Realm Makers I don't want to be like just another Christian author fan guy like I want to be like no I'm I'm worthy of being here you guys should be happy (laughs) that I'm here sort of thing (laughs) so you're saying Brandon Sanderson's a little uh, more okay putting himself out there and being vulnerable maybe and, yeah, and going to these conventions it. without just, having the yeah. credentials. He knows he's going to be a writer. He knows he's going to write books, right? <clears throat> so he's going to go to the convention just to enjoy the stuff that he can. He wants to enjoy. If I go to a convention, I'm like, I I don't know that I'm going to be a writer. I'm an electrician right now. That's what I am. I, I want to become a writer. So I'm here to become a writer. Not to. I'm not here to have fun. Don't think I'm coming to this convention to enjoy myself, okay? I'm here because I'm hoping that, like, that uh, Brandon Sanderson shows up and goes, Hey, Tyler, let's get you a book deal, bro. (laughs) 
Yeah, maybe not the most realistic expectations. Which is why I haven't gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it makes you feel anything any better, Brandon Sanderson was also uh, like very. Um, I don't know if I necessarily want to say depressed, but he was like not having a a good time in terms of writing back then. Um, by 2003, he had written 12 novels. Oh, geez. 12. Yeah. But no publisher had accepted any of them. Um, in a video interview with the alumni magazine of BYU, he said, quote, I was getting stacks and stacks of rejections. When you finish 12 novels and haven't made a single dime, you really ought to take a long, hard look at what you're doing. I agree. <laughs> just yeah. Like, Damn. Um, which I'll I get like. Drink to that. I'm drinking for that <laughs> one right now. Sorry, man. Sorry, Brandon. I know. Because, you know, a lot of huge authors like Stephen King talk about, you know, getting their rejection slips and putting them on a nail on the wall or whatever. Yeah. But after you've written 12 novels, and I can only assume they're all huge, like, sure. you know, 800 plus pages. <laughs> That's a lot of rejection to take and a lot of time that you've invested in uh, creating something. But apparently publishers kept telling him uh, that his epic fantasies were too long, which, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> or that he should try being darker, uh, quote, like George R.R. R. Martin, because uh, this was, again, like the late 90s and early 2000s and Game of Thrones was starting to get really popular then. Um, so publishers wanted something like that. But uh, Brandon Sanderson says his attempts to write grittier, darker books were terrible. Um, so he started getting kind of depressed about his prospects of, of breaking through into the industry. Sure. Um, around this time, though, thankfully, an editor from Tor Books contacted Sanderson to say that he wanted to acquire Elantris or Elantris. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. I say Elantris. Elantris. Okay, I'll do it that way. <clears throat> and um, I only this was... say it that way because I listened to the audiobook and that's what they said. Oh, perfect. Uh, Elantris was Sanderson's sixth book and one that he had submitted about a year and a half earlier to Tor Books. So a year and a half with no response, he basically had given up on that. He didn't think he was going to hear anything. Sure. Um, but if Tor sounds familiar, it's because if you listen to our episode on Robert Jordan, um, that's the publishing house that Jordan's wife, Harriet McDougall, worked for and the one that published all of his Wheel of Time books. Yep. So... Maybe if you know anything about Brandon Sanderson, this is a, a little uh, peek into the future. <laughs> um, so have you read Elantris? I, I like I said, I started listening to the audiobook. Um Didn't finish it? No, I was. I'm good. I'm good You're without good. that one. So I, I haven't read that one either. Um, the one that I read for this episode was Mistborn, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. Oh, we're going to um, talk about that one, Hannah. <laughs> Oh, we're going to talk about that one. We got to talk about Elantris first, though, because right. one interesting thing that I found out about this when I was listening to um, Brandon Sanderson's podcast that he does with another author named Dan Wells. He does a podcast, He does. Too? He does a podcast. Come and on. They, they just talk about, um, they don't talk that much about, like, their own writing. I mean, it comes up in conversation, but they kind of just talk about random things. And I'm forgetting the name of it. It has some random name, too, that's like this unnamed podcast or something like that. Probably um, super cool. It's probably <laughs> he super did. well done. He probably has a way better Halloween episode than we do. I don't think they have done a Halloween episode, if that makes you feel better. 
But in in one of the episodes, they did talk briefly about the the writing process for Elantris because they were part of the same writers group in college. Mm. Um, and apparently, Brandon Sanderson originally called it Adonis while he was working on it in college, but he pronounced it in his head Adonis, um, <laughs> not realizing what the word looked like. So in the third meeting of their their group, his friend Dan finally asked when the Greek stuff was going to show up because it was called Adonis. Adonis, yeah. And Brandon was like, what Greek stuff? So then he realized that people thought it was going to be about Greek mythology and changed the name to Elantris. Um, and Elantris was published on April 21st, 2005 uh, to generally positive reviews. And this was the same year that he finished his master's program. So in the grand scheme of things, I feel like publishing your first book, like around the same time you're finishing your your schooling, isn't bad. Like I, I know he... Uh-oh written a shit ton of stuff before that and gotten a ton of rejections but but that's this a good is a, career trajectory this is a good moment for brandon i mean this yeah. is like you got your masters your published author um uh, yeah i agree this is that's kind of a good moment validating yeah for sure and it um sold about ten thousand copies in hardcover and around fourteen thousand copies in paperback during its its first year which isn't like new york times bestseller level sales or anything but that's pretty good for a first-time author uh yeah i'd say so (laughs) i don't know how much authors make off of their books i'm sure not very much no like do do you have an idea at all um you know i've heard and it kind of depends on the author but like First time authors usually I'm forgetting the term for it, like the the amount that you sell your book for advance, I think it is what it's called. Yeah. Um, those are generally like kind of small for first time authors. Yeah, like they can range bucks, from right? like five yeah, they could be in the hundreds. Um a good one might be, you know, fifteen thousand maybe. Sure. Um, and then I think it's just up to like what your agent negotiates but for then, royalties. But then you have to make that back through the sales yeah. of the book. I mean, depending on your deal, yeah, Some sometimes, like, if you don't make it, you might be in a bad situation. Sure. It's just crazy, um, like, you know, I, 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 I like doing math, and so I think about it, like, if <clears throat> you said they sold 10,000 hardback? Hardcover, yeah. Yeah, and those usually That might have been, for, like, 20 bucks back then? Yeah, 20, 25 bucks for a, for a hardcover. If he's making... 10% of each of those that's two bucks for each one right mm-hmm. 10,000 times two is 20 grand that's that's good money I mean it's not like livable right I mean I mean maybe it's livable but like you uh you <laughs> well that's pre-tax and all of that stuff we should do an episode where we talk about like the financial side oh, of like shit. publishing and advances is, and stuff like that's that that's a great idea hey if you're an author and you have expertise with this seriously uh seriously 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 email us at uh lewis and lovecraft at gmail.com we want to talk to you because now that is an episode i really want to do as yeah, someone I think who, that would wants, be a fun one. who wants to be a published author i know hannah eventually whenever she decides who killed her uh characters off uh, and she writes that story, gets it to me. She wants to be a, uh author. So, like, just for us, we'll probably nerd out about that. Um, but I'm sure our listeners would be really interested in that. I think because that's the kind of stuff we're interested in. So, yeah, there's an audience for it. So, yeah, we'll do that. Sure. 
Um, so yeah, so just <clears throat> so he's making he's making a little bit of money. He's making some side cash, you know, to kind of fund his continuing efforts as an author. Yes, but luckily he doesn't have to wait very long because once he kind of gets that first book out there, it it really opens the floodgates for his career. So in 2006, literally just the next year, Tor publishes Mistborn, The Final Empire, which is the first book in his Mistborn trilogy. Uh, so now is the part where we get to talk about Mistborn, the book that hold, both hold, of us have read. Hold on, just to go back to Elantris real quick. Oh. I didn't like Elantris, but <clears throat> it's not because it was a bad book. It was because it was so political. It was like just politics for the first quarter of the book. I think that's as far as I made it. And so it's it, like the later Dune books, but yeah, at it, the beginning. And it's like there's a there's a city where the dead people go, but they're not actually dead. And there's like a mystery there, but we don't we barely get to see any of that. And then there's like a chick who's, you know, married to the dead guy, but she never got to meet him. And and now she's got to do some political scheming and make herself better seen and she joins like a revolution and i'm like uh-huh okay can someone shoot a fireball please <laughs> can someone please just shoot can someone stab anyone i do not care who gets stabbed just someone <laughs> pull a knife out and stab anyone in this room please and it just kept going and i'm like okay i'm I think I'm done, to be honest. And then I was ready to be, I was ready to write off Sanderson and be like, no, I, all of his stuff is political and like just, you know, uh, uh, and, uh, the, the atropats of the 14th uh, district uh, make their tribute to uh, the king emperor who's going to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, we don't give a shit. Stab someone or shoot a fireball. So, when did you listen to Elantris? Because you had already read Mistborn before our last episode, right? Because I, th I thought you said yeah. that I would like that one. Yeah. So I started listening to Elantris like uh, like a year ago because um, basically, and, and I was going to try and get into this later, but I'll, I'll touch on it now. He has an entire series on YouTube when he went to BYU and he did some lectures. And I finally like forced myself to start watching them. And um, and as he started talking, I was like, oh, this is really, really helpful stuff as an author. And so maybe I should give him a chance that I'm going to start with this first book, which was Elantris. And then immediately I was like, no, <laughs> he's Stephen King to me. I like his advice, but I don't like his writing. Which then, is totally fair. And then we start doing this episode. And uh, there was no way I was going to get through all of Wheel of Time just to get to the Brandon Sanderson part. So I was like, everyone raves about Mistborn. So I'll listen to Mistborn. And immediately I was like, oh, thank God I listened to Mistborn. This is amazing. Yeah, it's way more action-y. <laughs> oh, yeah. Legitimately. And he describes it this way himself. The book is Ocean's Eleven with magic. I like that. There's... There's a lot of colorful descriptions of Mistborn, and I'm just delighted by all of them because I, like, I, I've mentioned this many times. I'm not a huge fantasy fan anymore, like I was when I was a kid, but it just doesn't do it for me anymore the same way. But like, I think Mistborn is a really 
interesting addition to the genre because it's like Ocean's Eleven with magic or it's um, a heist fantasy is another yeah. way I've seen it described or like yeah. gangster fantasy. Uh-huh. Um, so basically the concept of, of the Mistborn universe is that there are allomancers who are people with the ability to like burn metals and alloys after ingesting them and through that they get enhanced senses and supernatural abilities so kind of cool concept um that's fairly unique for the fantasy genre yeah i think that's one of my big complaints with the genre is that everything's so similar sure um but mistborn is not similar at all which i liked about it um and yeah it's just like so i guess i'll, I'll talk about his his inspiration for it before i get too much more into the plot um, but basically after selling Elantris his publisher wanted something else so instead of taking one of the other dozen books that he'd already written he decided he wanted to write something completely new and give readers his newest and best work which if his other stuff was like Elantris maybe that was a good call yeah um, so he tried to think up something that he would be proud to have be like the hallmark of his career something that really adds to the genre um, and he has said that he wanted to undermine some of the stereotypes of fantasy um so his two original ideas were one to have a gang of thieves in a fantasy world yeah and two a story where the dark lord had won he wanted like this dark alternate ending or something sure um so he kind of melded those two into a heist story where all the prophecies were incorrect the hero failed um and a thousand years later a gang of thieves came along and decided to rob the dark lord and overthrow the empire yeah so that was like his starting point and one of the other pivotal ideas um that occurred to him happened when he was apparently driving to idaho falls to visit his mom he went through a fog bank driving at 70 miles an hour on the freeway and even though his car was the thing that was literally moving he says it looked like the mist was moving around him instead and he loved that image so much that he like wrote it down in a notebook years before he ended up writing mistborn and returned to it for kind of this like very unique and visual setting for his novels yeah he's constantly talking about how there's a lot of different ideas that as a writer he has these ideas and he just kind of banks them for later and then when he's writing a new piece he kind of examines them he almost puts them on a shelf and then he like he grabs one and goes, does this work for this other idea? Can I put these two ideas together and make this work for a story, which mm-hmm. I absolutely love. And I don't I don't know if you know this about me, Hannah, uh, but I have a lot of ideas. <laughs> I, I do know that about you, actually. Yes. <laughs> and I've had to learn how to do that myself where I go, well, I wanted this to be its own story, but I like this story And I think that I can kind of put these two, this chocolate and peanut butter together and make an even better story. And I think that's that's one of the things that I fell in love with reading his work and listening to his process is the fact that he is he's not beholden to go. No, this is the story. Okay, it has to be this. It's like, no, this is an element of a story and there's more to the story than just that. Brandon Sanderson is like one of the most unique writers I've come across in terms of like how he approaches storytelling. He's so analytical about it. And it's like it's almost like science. Um, And in his in his podcast, he was talking about how like he even he he doesn't like lucid dream, but he can edit his dreams while he's in them, he says. 
So like he'll be dreaming and it's like a story to him. And as he's like going along in the dream, he's like, no, this doesn't make sense plot wise. I must start over and change this thing about the dream. You don't think you believe him? That's some Mormon sorcery right there. I do not (laughs) believe that. I mean, maybe he can, but that's not again, not fair. That he gets to just be like, oh, I command dreams now. Let me, I let me just be, I, oh, turns out I'm Morpheus from Sandman. I can just control dreams, everyone. Well, apparently he storytells in his dreams, so watch out for the, the Mormon superpowers. He's coming after me tonight. I know it. <laughs> So with the Mistborn trilogy, he wrote the entire thing straight through. So like he had the third one drafted by the time the first one was like in final edit stage. I feel like Um, that's every writer's hope. Every writer should do that. Um, I think it gets harder the more books in a series you have. But that's the only way to keep things consistent. And, And he didn't want it to feel to readers like he was just making it up as he went along. So yeah. Yeah, so he did that. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed Mistborn. It took me a little while to get into it, and I'm only moderately embarrassed to admit that the only reason I stuck, or one of the main reasons I stuck it out was because I wanted to see what happened with Vin, uh, the, the main female character, and her love interest. So yeah. I really went back to my teenage romance novel <laughs> days. The second... <laughs> The second a mysterious sexy boy starts reading on a balcony, Hannah's like, just oh, Hannah's in it. I'm hooked. This, oh, okay. This well, I hated this book until now. <laughs> yeah, I I should be more ashamed to admit that, but no. I'm not. <laughs> hey, you have a thing for, you know, mysterious book reading men. Yeah, got to find out if their relationship, their their star-crossed. Oops, I'm hitting Whoa, my mic. Yeah, their star-crossed lovers, Tyler. Yeah, I what more could you want? I don't think that's what that means, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, they are because Vin in in the book, um, you know, is a, oh, a wait, low-born are we getting person. A Hannah conspiracy? Are we getting a Hannah explanation? No, I'm just saying because she, she's this low-born, or she's um part of the. The slave class, basically, they've got the ska, uh-huh. um, and she's posing as a highborn person, nobility. Yeah, and the love interest is a noble, so they're not supposed to be together. Vin's not even supposed to be alive. True. So, Starcross lovers, Romeo and Juliet. Oh shit! Better than Shakespeare. Oh <laughs> no, shit! I'm just well, better than Romeo and Juliet. I didn't like that story. <laughs> but no. Um, and one of the other... I, I found an episode of Sanderson's podcast where he talks a little bit about Mistborn. And I thought it was interesting that he said he made that trilogy darker than he would have liked because of kind of the, the publishing pressure he was getting. Hmm. But it doesn't feel... Dark. super dark to me yeah. it's not george rr R. martin level by I mean, any means he definitely uh, and i haven't read the second two books or i guess there's more than three at this point but um he said fuck it why yeah, write a trilogy I, I when he, i can get paid for more i think he wrote the trilogy and then i think he wanted to write some extra stuff i don't know if it's like i think the trilogy is like the main story i think it's like a star wars situation uh i don't know maybe i'm wrong but in the first book, at least, he I mean, he talks p- about some pretty tough stuff, right? Like rape and uh, murder and all kinds of stuff that 
um, that people do. And he has their, his characters have open discussions about this. I mean, even, even, uh, Vin, when she's talking to her, her star-crossed lover, she is like, have you had sex with a slave? Right. She is like actively asking this question and he has to, he answers her honestly. And it's not an answer she wants to hear. Right. But he's honest with her and it's a hard conversation to have. So I think that it is dark in some scenarios, especially for and I know that this is going to sound dumb, but it's true for maybe a religious person who like they don't they don't like this sort of thing. They don't want to have that conversation about about stuff. So it might be a little bit darker than what they are generally used to. Not everybody's George R. R. Martin just sitting in the nude <laughs> writing about naked chicks and how water enters them through their vagina. Ew. <laughs> I didn't listen to whatever Game of Thrones book that was in. It's the first oh, one. It's, this, I, it's I, the I, first I, scene with what's her name. When I she listened goes to the audiobook of the second one. <laughs> All right, whatever. I didn't read that one. I, I listened to the audiobook of the second one, and I was like, I don't want to continue this. Yeah. It's too gross imagining an old man right, writing not, this. Not everybody not everybody has to write George R. R. Martin darkness in order for them, the story to be darker to them. Um, and I, and I, I think you made a good point. Um, Mistborn is a lot darker than I would expect from a Mormon writer. Like Stephanie Meyer is the other like famous Mormon author we've talked about. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't like touch shit in her books. Yeah, she's really. very like, clear. Like it's about love. It's not about sex. Yeah. We're, we're not going to talk about that until book four when apparently we just talk about Bella and Edward banging all the time, but in no detail. Right. Because they're married. Because they're married. <laughs> This girl character who has no religious tendencies at all throughout the other three books is very adamant that they must get married before they, they do it. Married. Yeah. Um, no, I. but even even for like a, a religious person, I think that just in general, it, it's some tough conversations that are had in that in that story. And Vin, I mean, Vin is incredibly oppressed. Um, <clears throat> she comes from a background that is incredibly scary. If you really stop to think about it, like she talks about how the only reason she wasn't raped and sold into slavery to be a prostitute and taken advantage of is because her brother took care of her. But then her brother is an extremely abusive person and that was her salvation. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's darkness to that story that. Like, it's easy to gloss over because we're so excited about Alamancy. You know, we're so excited that she's going to go jumping around, throwing coins and pushing people and learning from, um, fuck, what's his name? Calcier or whatever. Calcier. Yeah. Um, and he's so cool. Like, he's he's the coolest character in the world. <laughs> and so, like, uh, we don't care about, and it justifies his anger. Right. Like all that Mm -hmm. darkness that we learn, we learn because of the highborn and it justifies what he's doing. Um, So the darkness, I think, gets kind of sapped away from that. Yeah. And one last thing that I thought was interesting um, about Sanderson's comments on Mistborn was he has said that he regrets making it as dark as it was. Specifically, um, he said he if he could go back and like rewrite it or whatever, he would take out the part where um, the part of the story where the Dark Lord has 
the children of Ska, the slaves and highborns nobility um, be killed because that's like the order that the Dark Lord or whatever has in this universe because they don't want the slave class potentially gaining the powers that only the nobility are supposed to have. Um, But I think that's kind of like a weird change to make to it because that plot point makes a lot of sense for the story. So I'm yeah. not exactly sure why he would want to change that. I'm like, obviously, if you're an evil ruler who oppresses people, you don't want the oppressed people to get any magic powers. Sure. So I, I don't really understand where he's coming from on that. I mean, obviously, it's his work. He can feel however he wants about it. But I'm like, that plot point makes total sense. I don't know what you're talking about. And it, it's funny that he he writes um, in such a way that makes sense. That's logical. To a point where it even bothers him. <laughs> yeah, he's got to change the whole story to take that out. So, yeah, yeah. good luck, Brandon. Um, so, Mistborn sold about 800 copies in its first week, apparently. Uh, this was something that I found, like, literally on a forum where Brandon was interacting with his fans back when this came out. Uh, it sold 800 copies its first week. Since then, it it tapered off um and as of august 2006 was actually selling less per week than elantris his debut novel was um at that point apparently elantris was selling about 500 copies a week so while actual like figures on how much mistborn sold its first year i i couldn't find those um it seemed like it was doing okay i i don't think it was a bestseller by any means either i'm doing math you <laughs> <clears throat> Do something like 400 times 50. So he's selling 500 copies of a book a week? For Elantris, yeah. Mistborn, like, did more at first and then tapered off. Doesn't matter. If he's selling (laughs) 500 copies a week, he's making $1,000 a week off one book. If we go with the 2% off of a $20 (laughs) hardback book. Just saying. I know those numbers are not right. I know that there's different things. We're just going with a streamlined situation here. I don't know, but holy shit, one book's bringing you $1,000 a week. Oh, no, your other book is only bringing you $1,500 a week. You're fucking making $6,000 a month off of two fucking books, you son of a bitch. I know you said your math was wrong, but Elantris was a paperback, so it probably wasn't 20 bucks a book back then. Fine. Still. <laughs> but yes, your point is taken. 500 books a week, uh, many authors would kill for. Yeah, please. <laughs> I I think I've sold, I think I've sold maybe 50 copies of the Penny Lich BT dubs. Uh, as In of the this first recording. week? That's as of this good. recording, yeah. Uh, so let's bump that up, guys. 10 Those times rookie more numbers. That. Everyone who's bought a book, buy 10 more, please. <laughs> Yeah, we got to get those Sanderson numbers for Tyler here. <laughs> so uh, while he was, you know, making a splash on the the fantasy scene, he also got married. Um, and he seems like a kind of private guy in terms of his personal life. So I honestly like don't know very much about his relationship or, or family. I know that he married a woman named Emily Bushman, who um, was also an English major. And she worked as a teacher in 2006. Um, since they were both English majors and went to BYU, they kind of ran in the same circles, but apparently they didn't actually meet until a mutual friend set them up on a date in 2005 and they got married the next year, which I don't know if that, that follows the Tyler Clausen um, time limit Mormons, or time Mormons requirement. Mormons don't count. 
No, they don't. Mormons do whatever they want. I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> Emily spent uh, seven years working as a teacher, apparently, um, but quit when their first child was born in October of 2007. She's now a stay-at-home mom and Brandon's business manager. So yeah. I've uh, detected no hints of cheating or any of the other bad behavior that we come to expect from our authors. So, But just wait. <laughs> I know I'm probably jinxing their relationship right now just by saying it. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Devani, hopefully Brandon Sanderson is another one of the good husbands. I have nothing more to report on just that. Just saying, front. we're all religious guys. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, let's see. Who You're else was trying religious? so hard. <laughs> Wasn't H.P. Lovecraft kind of technically religious? No, he was staunchly atheistic. He was staunchly atheist? Oh, I need to go back and, and re-listen to our first or second episode. Uh, you know what I noticed, actually, is on Spotify, our show only goes back a certain time. So <gasps> I don't know. Uh, people who are listening to our show, um, the, the earliest they can listen to is our first Halloween episode, I think. Really? Yeah. So I think that means that we might need to start redoing some. Re-releasing them or redoing or, them? Or redoing them now that we're not sitting in a bookstore with really shitty microphones and you and I are like best friends now instead of random people that I forced to come <laughs> to a podcast with. That, that might be fair. Okay. People email us if you want us to re-record them. Um Yeah. Or say nothing if you just want us to re-upload them, I, I guess. I promise I will keep Grandpa Whipple. <gasps> You're so right. Yeah. I, I just looked at it. Does it do that to all podcasts or I just ours? I don't know. If you are a listener and you can't see anything before October of 2019, that was the year, right? That was the year. Yeah. Of if you can't see anything before that... There's a problem. There's so much more before that. Actually, there's not much, but there's some good stuff. There's in like there. at least four or five episodes before that. There's there's two episodes of Lovecraft, two episodes of Lewis. There's um, Neil Gaiman, I think. Ne oh yeah, Neil Gaiman was before that. Tim Burton. Um, oh we ha yeah, we had a shit ton of episodes. Okay, yeah, this is a problem. I'm sorry, I'm just Gil now finding Gillian, out about this. Gillian Flynn, Gillian Flynn. Mm -hmm. So yeah. If you guys want us to at least do the Lovecraft and Lewis episode, we can. Um, just let us know. Awesome. Well, now that we've uh, taken that that side quest <laughs> um, back to Brandon Sanderson. So in 2007, uh, he published the second book of the Mistborn series, The Well of Ascension. He also published a children's novel, Alcatraz versus the Evil Librarians that year. Uh, and he published the first of his Laws of Magic. So he had a kid, a uh, second Mistborn book, and a children's novel all and in 2007. And he created his own laws. And yes, he created one of his laws of magic. We'll and we'll talk about those at that. the end because um, the rest of them would follow in 2012 and 2013. So there was quite a gap there. Uh, but now we got to talk about Wheel of Time. Let's talk about Wheel so, of Time. I've been dying to talk about Wheel of Time, Hannah. Can we, we didn't talk, talk about, about it enough. Yeah, can we talk about Wheel of Time, please? <laughs> So if you listen to our, our last bio episode about Robert Jordan, you'll know that sadly uh, he died in September of 2007. <sighs> I know. I, spoiler alert. Spoiler. I'm sorry. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson was apparently a huge fan 
and wrote a eulogy for Jordan on his own website. Sanderson had like a very popular blog because he's uh, which actually, he's, he still has. Yeah, he, he's he actually just, a golem. Uh, he cannot has, stop writing. That has the soul of Jordan inside of him after Jordan yes. died. He's the next avatar. <laughs> so in September 2007, after Robert Jordan's soul um, like came into his body. Yeah. Brandon Sanderson wrote a eulogy um, and it's, it's pretty long. It's still on his website. Like if you listeners want to go read the whole thing, uh, but he talks about like how he thinks eye of the world is one of the greatest fantasy books ever written. Yeah. He called it um, significant of an era, the culmination of the epic quest genre, which had been brewing since Tolkien initiated it in the sixties. Mm. Uh, and he just like talks about how influential wheel of time was for him. Um, and how eventually he found himself in his own writing reacting against Wheel of Time because he felt that Robert Jordan had captured the epic quest story so well that he wanted to explore new ground and not just, like, copy him. Yeah. Um, he also mentions this one time that he actually saw Robert Jordan in real life at a world fantasy convention, actually. And his description of him was so perfect, if, if you heard us talking about Robert Jordan's style on the, the last episode. But he said, quote, I saw a man in a hat and beard walk by in the hallway outside a convention room. He was alone, yet distinguished, and he walked with his cane. I'd never seen him sit on panels, yet I felt that I should know who he was. I turned to the person beside me and asked, that, they said, as the figure hobbled around the corner, that was James Oliver Rigney Jr. <gasps> uh, okay. Robert Jordan, they said, that was Robert Jordan. <laughs> so he didn't even know what Robert Jordan's real name was. Yeah. Um, but he's he says in this eulogy that when he got an offer on one of his books from Tor, Robert Jordan's publisher, it felt like a sign. Yeah. Uh, so he kind of like concludes the eulogy by saying, now that he's gone, I'm sure many see this as an opportunity, not a tragedy. Who is the heir apparent? I wonder how many authors emailed their editors Monday asking if someone was needed to finish the Eye of the World series. Even if none of them are chosen for that task, there will be a feeling that Tor needs to push somebody to fill the hole in their lineup. So... What a coincidence when a how friend of... interesting. How interesting. Uh, a friend of Harriet McDougall's saw this eulogy, mm. printed it out, and, and told Harriet to read it. Uh, and Harriet said it was so beautiful, and she could tell that Brandon loved the series so As much. If Roberts had <laughs> written it himself. <laughs> interesting. Do-do-do-do. <laughs> So Harriet started reading Mistborn. She made it a couple chapters in. I think she said in one interview, like 47 pages. And then she called Tom Doherty, the publisher, and oh, said she thought that Brandon could finish the series after just a few chapters of reading his book. Wow. She she was that confident. Um, Tom suggested she finish the rest of the book before making her decision. Yeah, maybe, but, maybe finish yeah. reading the damn book, lady. Yeah. Now you're so just... They, just because you read another book by your husband doesn't mean that you can just jump <laughs> on board with having him come on and finish his book series in another body. I'm just not absurd. letting this go, everyone. You've got to write this as a short story. I'm, I like... do. The Brandon, the Sanderson Roberts paradox. <laughs> Perfect. It sounds so, like an episode. It's what I'm going to write for our, next, it's for our next sci fi flash fiction. That's going to be my story. I love it. We're going to hold you to it. It's going to be 800 pages. 
oh god that's not flash fiction tyler i don't know what you're you're gonna do (laughs) so tom and harriet go back and forth for a little while trying to figure out if they should consider anyone else um and then harriet called brandon personally and said he was on the short list she didn't tell him how short that list really was and she asked if he'd be interested and he obviously said yes yeah so a couple weeks later she and tom told him he had the job and he actually went to charleston harriet picked him up at the airport and brought him to her house uh she said that she told him she had some soup for his supper and brandon apparently told her what i'd really like is the end the end of the series <laughs> so harriet said okay and gave him all the notes that jordan had left and told him to let her know when he was ready for dinner and as soon as he touched the first page his memories downloaded into his brain <laughs> and he awoke inside of himself and he realized that he had been dead and yet alive for thousands of years and then he called Emily and told her and the kids that he wouldn't be coming back home. And he carried out uh, the rest of his life living with Harriet. Yep. That was, well, <laughs> never mind. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so the writing process was actually a bit of an adjustment period for both of them. Harriet had not edited Uh, Brandon before obviously and when he sent her material at first she said she was still grieving too much to really like look at it objectively sure uh which makes total sense she was also fiercely protective of the series she even described herself in one interview as quote much bitchier about the characters (laughs) when it came to editing she would like yell at him no that's not how this character would behave try again oh Um, jeez but yeah, she she worked on imagine, this series. I genuinely cannot imagine, first of all, being given an opportunity like that. But like to write something and then have a woman be like, "No, you fool, <laughs> do better." Like just watching me write, like I would just be terrified the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot of pressure because obviously Harriet had worked on this series for about 20 years. Her husband wrote it. Yeah. She's very emotionally invested in it. Yeah. Um, But Harriet also describes Brandon as just like an incredibly nice, decent person and says it was a pleasure working with him on it. So it wasn't all yelling. If you don't write this the right way, I'm going to release Jordan's original a draft of a book <laughs> that he never wanted the world to see and then I'll make more money off of him. I don't know why I turned into the Joker right there, but was... <laughs> that's the untold story of how um, of why that got released. The book got released. Why that got... Yeah. Wow. Screw you, Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> it's all Brandon Sanderson's <laughs> fault. So he published The Gathering Storm um, on October 27th, 2009. This was the, that would have been the ninth book in the Wheel of Time series, I believe. Uh, uh, n- no. Because there were 11 total. No, there's 14 total. There's 14 total. Oh, shit. So that was the 12th. The 12th, yeah. And it was originally supposed to be one book. It was supposed to be the like just the final book. But Sanderson going over all the notes He's going over all this and he's like, bro, this is not one book. What are you talking about? This is at least three books. So then he he wrote it to be three books. Uh, yeah. And I think he did he write them all at once and then start releasing them? Or did he just write super fast? Because Towers of Midnight came out the next year. I, my guess is he wrote all of them. I, I might that would be my guess. I don't actually. There was know. a bit of a gap. I guess a Memory of Light, the final installment, came out in 2013, which was like just over two years after 
Towers of Midnight. Um, sure. But still, like, pretty quick considering he got the assignment in, like, 2008 and had them all finished within four-ish years. Yeah. Uh, I think he probably wrote them all at once and then they kind of edited them, edited them down. Edited it. That's such a hard word to say. It is. <laughs> So, yeah, so he got uh, his dream job, many authors dream job, probably finishing the Wheel of Time series. Um, and yeah, I have you heard him talk very much about that experience? Not too much. Um, you know, he, he talks about it in his lecture series, at least as far as I've watched. And um, he he kind of talks about the what it was like to get that phone call and to talk to Harriet for the first time and and then yeah like going over Jordan's notes and how it was like three million words just in notes and how he realized this is more than one book um and he wanted to do it right he wanted to close the chapters on things that had been opened since the beginning and he wanted to do it the right way and honestly it just sounded it just stresses me out thinking about it genuinely stresses me about the pressure of doing that or yeah, the idea yeah. of having to take not only someone else's work and finish it but someone else who was so well known and renowned for writing these epically huge stories i i cannot imagine the task that he took i don't think i would do it i think i'd be too yeah. scared no i i absolutely would not and i i think that's the sort of thing that someone with a master's in english could do um not just a writer because i think there are writers who are great because they know their voice and they mm -hmm. know how to tell their story and that's great that's wonderful but there are people out there that have a degree in the english language and they know how to dissect stuff especially someone like brandon sanderson who is almost scientific with the way he writes and mm -hmm. it's it's the same way that neil gaiman worked when we looked at neil gaiman he was very analytical in the way that he wrote. He he looked at a story and went, oh, this is how you piece these stories together. Very interesting. Let me do that again and again and again, but better. Brandon Sanderson did the exact same thing. I don't look at stories that way. I wrote, I've been writing a sitcom, a fantasy sitcom, and I've been watching sitcoms since I was freaking 10 years old. And now <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe I can dissect a sitcom and figure out the formula to that. And even then, there's people out there that would be like, yeah, we've already known how to do that, you dumbass. <laughs> I, oh, don't, no negative self-talk, first of all. But I wasn't I, I saying that. They're saying that, Hannah. You're saying it by association. You're thinking that people think that about you. I'm just repeating but, what they said to me. So in your head, in my head. <laughs> but I think your larger point is like really excellent. Um, and I think I think that's exactly why the Wheel of Times fans have accepted Brandon Sanderson and love him almost as much if if not as much as robert jordan and the few people that i've like asked who have read the entire series all the way through um they say they can't tell a difference in in voice sure. between the two writers so brandon sanderson really accomplished what he set out to do the the biggest compliment i've ever been paid well two two big compliments one is i wrote a book called uh, rebecca moon and the boy in the bottle as as a gift to my wife and um someone read it online and they said, oh, my God, it feels like I'm reading Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Like, that was the voice that I was going for, and that's what I did. I achieved that voice. They they heard that. 
Um, and then uh, Paul, my editor for the Penny Lich, he had read some other stuff that I had written, and uh, one of them was a horror short um, that I did for like kind of fun. And he read that, and he's like, "That's you know, this is really good. You you did a good job." And I was like, "Oh, thanks. I really need to hear that." And then he read the Penny Lich, and he's like, "He's like, how did you... these two things?" If you were to hand them to me and say one is from Bob and one is from Joe, I would never be able to tell that they are written by the same person. They are completely different voices, completely different styles. And I was like, that's what I want. I want to be able to look at a genre and break it down and write that genre, right? Um, and even if my voice is consistent through that, I want people to read it and go, oh yeah, that's a good scary story. And that's a good funny story and epic story, blah, blah, blah. Um, but that's like, and maybe there's a future there, but yeah, the, the idea that Brandon was able to read Robert's voice and go, oh, let me do that exact same thing for three books to end the series. That's terrifying. It's just it's amazing. He's a great guy. I, I'm impressed, and I'm out of alcohol, so I'm, I need to pour some more. Because... So that means we got to get through the rest of this episode quickly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the three books he finished in the Wheel of Time series, like obviously, all hit the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Like, of he, course they did. That groundwork had already been laid by Robert Jordan. Um, but then, Words of Radiance, the second book in his Stormlight Archive series, was his first number one bestselling novel written just by him. Oh really? Wait, that- Kings wasn't a, a New York Best Times, New York Times bestseller. What year did Way of Kings come out? Uh, I don't know. I think it was two thousand twelve. Oh well, maybe not. Uh, it might have been on the on the list, but it wasn't like the top of the list. Oh, okay, I saw that okay. Words of Radiance was the first number one. Um, he's had, I think, fifteen bestsellers total in his career. Which the fact that he's even written more than fifteen novels is offensive to me. But whatever. <laughs> um, so Words of Radiance hit the top spot a couple weeks after it was released in twenty fourteen, and it stayed on the list for about five weeks total. And that book was a thousand and eighty seven pages it's insane i was looking at uh way of kings i bought the way of kings as an audiobook libro sponsors and <laughs> um it's 45 fucking hours long oh my the god the longest book i've ever bought and um i mean i didn't buy it i had a free credit because libro sponsors.com it's pretty great <laughs> um but then I saw a picture of the Way of Kings right next to Words of Radiance, and it's tiny. It's a little book compared to it, and I could not believe it. I'm yeah, gonna, 40. Now I'm going to look up right now on Libro.com, Libro sponsors. Uh, how <laughs> I've long? been listening slash reading Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. I, I have the physical copy, but I've also been listening to the audiobook, and I think that audiobook is like 62 hours long. Jesus. So 45 is freaking long. Most of the audiobooks I listen to are like 8 to 12 hours long. Yeah, That's I mean, my I, sweet spot for I'm listening. S- I'm usually around 15 hours with because fantasy usually ends up being fantasy and sci-fi ends up being a little bit more, you know, girth, yeah, so girthy. Like, 
ew, gross. <laughs> so like Way of Kings is like four or five oh, of the wow. books that you would normally read, or four. So Words yeah. of Radiance is only 48 hours compared to... So Way of Kings Way of isn't Kings. really that much smaller, probably. I guess, uh, you know, a few hundred pages does really make a difference, though. I guess. Eric. I'm literally typing in the Way of Kings next to uh, words of radiance. Just to see a picture. Just you need to this see. visual. Yeah. Yeah, it's like... It's so much bigger. I guess it's not that much bigger. I guess I made it bigger in my head. It's probably like the sixth Harry Potter book next to the fifth Harry Potter book. Yeah, I guess, but it's still <laughs> nuts. Anyway, we need to keep moving on. We do. Um, I mean, I don't have a lot more to say in terms of like his his books because he's just written so many. Like, I, I don't want to go over every single series. He's written something like you know, a dozen novels just in the Cosmere universe, which is where Mistborn and some of his other works are, are set. He's done 10-ish short stories and novellas in that universe. He's done graphic novels. The Wheel of Times books, obviously, he's done YA novels. Just, like, dozens of novels and, and novellas and short stories and stuff. So he is a very prolific writer. Prolific, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I did just want to mention, like, some of the things that he credits his success to, um, one of the things at si at signings um, early on in his career, he actually had like a lot of people show up and he credits that just to him being tech savvy at a time when the internet and blogs were kind of just starting to get popular. Sure. So he said that he would post on his blog where he was gonna be and the other authors who were a lot bigger names than him they weren't online at all. So even though he was kind of the newbie, he would have massive crowds, sometimes like twice as many fans show up to get their books signed by him as the other authors he was hanging out with. So he really mm. cultivated this online fandom. Um, and now it's in the millions. Like I was looking on, on Reddit, the Stormlight Archive subreddit has around 170,000 members. Um, that's the largest of his books. Mistborn subreddit has uh, just under 70,000 members. So Jeez Louise. His fans are very online. Yeah. And now he's become one of the biggest contemporary fantasy authors in the world. I, I think probably only outmatched by like J.K. Rowling, George R. R. Martin, um, although he hardly ever publishes anything. So his page count is much lower. Um, and Neil Gaiman. Like there aren't a lot of other authors in the fantasy genre that I can think of who are bigger than Brandon Sanderson. Coming up, it's Tyler Clawson. He's, co yeah, he's coming. It's going to be you. 40, um, 45 copies sold worldwide. And then you had mentioned watching his lectures at BYU. That's actually, he teaches a creative writing class there every single winter. And he's done this for years. Like the the teacher that influenced his career so much, um, David Farland, he actually asked Brandon to come teach a class there. And yeah. so he's done it every year. Um, and apparently the lecture portion is open to all students limited just by however many seats they have in the hall. Um, but he also has a small group portion of the class where students are split into groups to critique writing and he will even critique their writing. Nice. So imagine getting Brandon Sanderson's feedback on your short stories. <laughs> it would be amazing. Brandon, call me. Let me know. There's so much demand for this um, that students apparently have to submit up to 3,000 words of the opening chapter of a novel they're working on. Uh, they have a one hour window to submit their application. Jeez Louise. 
And Brandon's assistant randomly draws 65 applications from the group to consider thoroughly and then chooses 15 people at the end of this. Oh my gosh, it's like the lottery. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but I think that's so cool that he does that. And yeah. he, he just sounds like a stand-up guy. Yeah, I think that that's definitely what we can walk away. I mean, there's so much more that we can get into. His Cosmere, what he did during the pandemic, his... Uh, laws of magic there honestly i i think maybe we'll save some of this for a chill episode maybe our next chill our next episode which will just be a chill one um and and talk a little bit more about um just how inspirational he is as a as a as a person and and i highly recommend you guys go and and hannah you as well if you haven't go check out his lecture series on youtube because it it's honestly daunting. It took me almost a year after I discovered it to actually sit down and watch it. And I'm not even all the way through because I just get so jealous. I get so like, honestly, it's on fire and jealous and ready to write and scared to write all and in, mixed into one because I just, it's so much information and it's so good. And, um, and so I, I think that his, I, I'm diving into the way of Kings because I want to see what his big works look like because I've seen what his smaller works look like. Um, and I know that I'm not a fan of all of them and, and that's fine. I, nobody's going to be the, make the perfect book that everyone will love. Um, but I, I like, I like diving into his style of being an author and then reading his books that come out of that. It's mm -hmm. kind of like Stephen King almost, but Stephen King comes at it almost from like, to be honest, a little more pompous. Like, oh, I'm Stephen King, fuck you, I can do whatever He's I want. He's become a major asshole. Yeah, now <laughs> it, it's like Brandon Sanderson is putting himself out there and saying, look, I, I want you to be a writer like me. I want you to find success because I'm a fan of this thing, of storytelling, of, of crafting. And he's been a fan of the people that have made millions of dollars of doing it. And he's a fan of people that are just starting to do it. And I think that's really encouraging. So I really enjoy following him as an author because it uh, it's inspirational to young authors and new authors and, and indie authors as well. Especially now that Sanderson is becoming an indie author. And that's a whole nother conversation with the fact that he fucking broke Kickstarter and pissed off an entire culture of people to the point where he had to he had to apologize by um, funding every single author on Kickstarter. What? Yeah. I knew he like did super well on Kickstarter, but okay, we'll save that story for yeah, I guess our chill, for our chill episode. Before we leave, though, can I at least just read the laws of magic uh, since we kind of teased them yeah. and then we'll talk about them more next time. Yeah. So the laws of magic. Number one, an author's ability to solve conflict with magic is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. Number two, weaknesses, limits and costs are more interesting than powers. Number three. The author should expand on what is already a part of the magic system before something entirely new is added, as this may otherwise entirely change how the magic system fits into the fictional world. And additionally, there is a zeroth law. Always err on the side of what's awesome. Yeah, I love that part. 
Because he is. He he always does that. He just wants to write good, fun stories. I that think that's sense. good life advice, too. Always err on the side of what's awesome. Yeah. Ghoul Gang. Um, hey, yeah, you know it. <laughs> Hannah's, Hannah's here at Ghoul Gang. She finally showed up. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I could go on and on. So we should just stop now because we got through his life. We'll do a chill episode and talk about how he's influenced us a little bit more uh, next time, I think. Um, Sounds good. And we'll try not to, to wait so long next time, y'all. No, we're going to get on <laughs> it like like immediately um, because I want to talk about this soon. Now I'm trying to find our outro information. <laughs> well, I think you just handled the teaser for the next episode. So, uh, Tyler, why don't you tell them? the people where they can find us i don't need outro information for this yo go check out our website lewis and lovecraft dot com you can see past uh episodes that we've done there uh get links to our oldest episodes which you cannot find on spotify apparently um so go to our website you can see our oldest episodes our first episodes of when we really genuinely were not like Somewhere along the way in the last like two and a half years, we've become really good friends and we were not always this way. We were kind of like stiff and like, uh, yeah, at first I was like, why the hell does this dude keep interrupting me? Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, and now I just roll with it. Yeah. Um, so, so go check that out. You can chat with us, uh, on Facebook if you want, or go to our Instagram at Lewis and Lovecraft. Um, that's where we post the most you can uh comment on stuff we will comment back we are actually active there so <laughs> you know it's a pretty good place um you can uh frick uh you can email us that's the best one you can email us uh email us short stories or, or flash fiction that we will read on our show we're gonna have a chill episode coming up so write to us and we will read that stuff on that on those episodes if you have comments concerns or opinions about brandon sanderson or even um robert jordan you know write to us about that we will read those on our chill episodes so write to us about that um you know uh, if you just want to reach out hey we're here for you we want to chat with you we want to talk to you we want to make you feel like you're a part of the show even though you're not on the show but we want to make you feel like <laughs> you're a part of the show <laughs> very exclusive club here yeah um, as always, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. You can find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson. And uh, go support us on Patreon. We have a couple of patrons. And if you like what we're doing, you can support us there and uh, join, um, you know, for like $25,000 a month. Not a big deal. Looking at you, Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> you Brandon, can afford it. <laughs> yeah, Brandon, if you want to support us on Patreon, we have we have all the levels for you. If you don't have $25,000, though, you could also just rate and review us on iTunes, Podchaser. You can rate us on Spotify now, which yeah. I was very excited about. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just go say nice things about us and also subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Yeah, rating and reviewing us is the best way. To, well, it's the second best way to help people find us. What's the best way to find us, Hannah? The best way to uh, support us is to tell your friends. Yeah. If you tell your friends, then they can find us and they can listen to our episodes uh, where we call out Lorna McDougal's husband for being a son of a bitch who That's just like went our to a most cabin. inside joke ever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who went to a cabin and th 
30 days later was like transfixed into a, a writing god you know maybe he was a golem the whole time and after his oh, 30 days shit. in the cabin a, a real writer inhabited his body i have something to add to our outro hannah what this is oh, a big deal duh this is a huge deal okay save the huge deal we got some merch Oh, I thought you were going to talk about your book. No, talk I'm about merch about, then. Well, I mean, I'll talk about my book if you want me to. But we got some merch. We got shirts out on, um, on in the internet lands. Um, we've got one that says, uh, uh, I read Dune and all I got was this stupid existential crisis. I love that one. Um, which I know Dave Vani is a big fan of. We've got a uh, Have You Seen My Grandpa Whipple shirt, <laughs> which goes all the way back to our first episodes. Um, we have just our classic logo um on on a t-shirt i think this we might one? have yeah yeah that one uh i think we might have one more i can't remember now but you can go to my website right now it's it's funneled through that uh at the moment so uh com. i'm gonna add it to the lewis and lovecraft website asap but it's where basically i'm gonna be putting up a bunch of different merch for all the stupid things that i'm doing out in the world um, and uh the the greatest stupid thing that you're doing out in the world is releasing your penny lich series so the first three stories just came out a week ago as of today, today. this day that we're recording this yeah, yeah um so you can get like the actual book of those three stories which finally came in the mail yesterday for me hey, so i'm that. very excited i know i don't know why it took so freaking long um but yeah so if you want the actual book uh go buy that from tyler's website there's also and an then, ebook if you want to read the ebook as well uh, i love books but yes you can get it on your kindle or wh whatever other device you have um and then the next story does that come out in a month or yeah, how does that work it'll be every month a new story will come out uh the hope is always the first tuesday of every month um, you know, as I'm trying to get used to being a dad, as well as this new thing that I'm doing, um, you know, but there, hopefully there's some grace in there, but the plan is always the first Tuesday of the month. Awesome. Um, but yeah, I appreciate that shout out. It's fantasy sitcom. If you like comedy, if you like fantasy, if you like D and D, if you like Brooklyn nine, nine, it's basically all of those put together. Have you had a chance to read it? No, I almost started to yesterday and then I ran out of time. So I was like, I need a, an evening free so that I can actually read it. But nice. I did post it on our Instagram. I was so excited that it finally arrived in my mailbox Yeah, and looks great. I love the cover art. Thank you. I think it's pretty. And with that, ghoul gang, we shall say. Good night. No, do you not? Do you not know that joke, Hannah? Have no. You, have you seen Young Frankenstein? Oh no. Where he, she's like, no. then I shall say good night, and he's immediately like, good night. This is another dad joke. This is this is a dad <sighs> reference. This is all gonna be just fading out as the music plays. That's all that's <sighs> gonna happen. <laughs>